on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We recap OU's win over UTEP and some of the other big games in week one of college football. And we finish up giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, September 5th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. Go gamble at Riverwind, people. Go have some fun there. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of September, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this Sunday afternoon-ish. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. And Ted, the Oklahoma Sooners are 1-0. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Get there the was a pause the there. Way. That was a long pause. Everything okay? No, everything's good. The, the first one is uh, you can't win them all if you don't win the first one, right? And... Uh, kind of like uh, I talked about a little bit leading up to this first game, especially after watching like the week zero stuff. It's not going to be championship form in week one, right? It's going to be an improvement process week by week. Uh, I think there was a ton of really good things. There was some bad things, but I, I don't think I saw anything that can't be fixed. Yeah. All right. Let's. The, the way we normally do this is Ted takes the defense. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, Ted kind of re- recaps the defensive performance and I kind of recap the offensive performance. So the Sooners beat UTEP 45-13 in Brent Venable's first game as head coach at Oklahoma. Let's start with the defense, man. What'd you think? Well, it's one of those – it's a classic example of uh, it's never as good as you think. It's never as bad as you think whenever you go back and watch the film. I thought defensively it actually was really good. Um, whenever you just kind of look at the box score and absorb everything, no rushing play longer than eight yards. Longest play of the day was a 24-yard gain. Um 
you know, they defended a bunch of snaps out there, didn't give up very many yards, were excellent against the run, What had six sacks, nine tackles for loss, uh, ended the game with the interception there. So the production was really good. Uh, I thought the, the, the biggest positive of the entire day was the tackling, open field tackling. Excellent. Excellent. I I went back and wa- I watched most of the game and I may have missed one as I was buzzing through it but I don't know that there was a missed open field tackle that resulted in meaningful yards gained afterwards. The in- the only one I could think of was the one where Jaden Davis kind of uh, they gave up a first down on it. Remember he kind of jumped at his ankles, missed him. They, yep. It kept the drive alive, but that's really the only yep. one that I can kind of remember. It it was excellent. And what I loved is guys were vice tackling, tackling in position where they fit in the defense. Um, they were grabbing cloth. They were pursuing to the football. Uh, if if one guy did make a miss, it it turned it back into the group where guys were right there to clean it up. I thought that was all excellent. And I thought the pressure on the quarterback was was good at times. Other times we got stuck on blocks. Um, I, I think that's going to be not necessarily a work in progress, but I expect there to be big leaps and bounds made uh, on the, the pass rush by the defensive line. Uh, one of the things they're going to have to continue uh, uh, or um, contend with, rather, is they're going to get schemed up some on on what they do rushing the passer. Teams are going to try and get the ball out of their hands pretty quickly. All that stuff is fine. That's that's what you're going to see, um, you know, if you've got a, a strong defensive line. I thought Redmond was really good when he was out there. Wasn't out there a whole lot, didn't feel like. Um Reggie Grimes had a really productive day. Uh, I thought Ethan Downs was was really strong at the point of attack. R. Mason Thomas, you can see that uh, as a true freshman, he has an impact. You know, he's got a he's got a motor. He just he just needs a little bit of experience, and I think that's going to come pretty quickly for him. Linebackers, I thought for the most part were were pretty good. Uh, I thought Igwebu had some really nice things he did out there. I thought Stutzman did some really nice things. Uh, what I'm most concerned about, or leading into the game, what I was most concerned about is how fluidly can they play within the defense? Is there is there pre-snap panic uh, trying to get lined up, trying to get adjusted whenever you can tell that a guy's not exactly sure where he's supposed to be? And I didn't see very much of that at all. There was a couple of things where leave coverage a little early to come up for the quarterback or get bumped out of a gap a little bit or um, you maybe don't come downhill fast enough. But all of those things I expect to get better week by week. Secondary, I thought the secondary was really, really good. Even though we gave up what it ended up being 250-plus passing yards, no one is going to want to hear this, but the quarterback for UTEP is really good. He's he's a really good football player. But I thought the coverage was tight. They made some plays. Um, you know, some of the underneath stuff 
the the shorter routes underneath that we were talking about this during the game that's that's the nuanced stuff that is the hardest to to deal with in some of these zones it's the last thing to come but i do feel like the backers for the most part sifted out a lot of the crossing routes really good we're just going to get better as the season goes on playing some of those things tighter and um you know whenever you you coordinate tighter zone coverage with guys putting pressure on the quarterback that's whenever your your uh pass defense is going to go to the next level so uh, all in all, I w- if I was to grade it, I'd probably give it a B for the defense. Yeah, I think, you know, any anytime you hold an opponent to 0.9 yards a rush, you're you're doing something right, right? And UTEP, they just they simply couldn't run the ball efficiently throughout the game. That being said, and you and I were talking about this during the commercial breaks on the broadcast, I, I think the next step for the defensive line, especially the interior of the defensive line is they got to, they got to get a little better at disengaging from blocks, right? A lot of leaning, like using their weight on it. It's like they, they got to get a little more proactive with their hands and they've got to remove people from their person a little better. That, that, that's kind of one thing that stood out. Yeah. You know, whenever you, I step back and look at the game and how it unfolded. And and it's this is not an excuse. It's just something that is realistic. If you watch like the first group of snaps out of the at where the game started and then out of the second half, there's pop and there there is explosiveness from the defensive line the second quarter where we ended up being stuck on the field for big portions of the game, it just, the the production and the pop and explosiveness from the defensive line just continued to sink and sink and sink. And that's one of those things where you've got to find a way to get off the field instead of letting them dink and dunk their way, uh, you know, for first downs and move the chains. But, I you know, I think, because the the way the the game unfolded at the beginning is the offense scored what on their first three drives, like boom, 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 right down the field. And the defense was right back out there and it just kind of sapped some of their energy. And that's going to be something that we have to watch, you know, as fast as our offense goes and kind of see how that unfolds throughout the year. But yeah, I agree. Uh, And I was, I was pleasantly surprised with how good UTEP's offensive line looked now maybe that's the goes back to exactly what you're talking about. We're stuck on blocks. Yeah. I I wouldn't describe me as being pleasantly surprised. I was kind of like, what the hell's going on here? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to see a good matchup on the line of scrimmage. Like I didn't want to play Alabama to get a a look at how our defensive line is just yet, (laughs) but I wanted someone that was, you know, they uh, are, they're very well representative of what we're going to see with some some offensive lines in the Big 12. There's going to be some offensive lines that are way better, but that group is is fairly solid. Yeah, and you know, you think about guys that stood out on the defensive side. Thought Billy Bowman. I mean, yeah. I I understand yep. the hype now. Like he looks like and remember, he's he's only going to get better, but his explosiveness, like his suddenness 
at that safety position, uh, coming up, making tackles, uh, his ability to break on routes there back in coverage, man, it, you can see it. You can see that he is, he's the guy that can be a special player for this team. Yep. No, I, I thought he looked good. Um, I thought that, you know, all things considered, I thought, I thought Stutzman looked pretty good. He had, he had a bunch of positive plays. Then he had some negative plays and some of them were bad. And in, in the box, it was just a lot of playing too high and he's already a, a taller kid. And, and, you know, you've really got to focus on getting your pads down. Uh, but you, I saw enough from him in, in game one, first start, true sophomore, where I feel really good that by the end of the summer or uh, season, rather, he's going to be playing really good. Yeah. And then uh, the Reggie Grimes performance was great. And I, his sacks like effort, right? Just playing, yep. playing hard as hell, and which is, which is great to see. And after the game, he talked about, uh, I guess his grandmother has paused her, her cancer treatment uh, so that she could be at the game. And for him to ball out that way, the way that he did have those two and a half sacks, you could see how emotional he was, you know, celebrating those plays on the field. It, man, that was cool. That was really, really yeah, cool. It was. Yeah. He, he had a big game, productive game. Um, and you know, he's, he's big and he's physical on the edge. And, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the things that there's a give and take what he's he's pushing close to 280 pounds which helps him a lot in the run and i think he just needs to get a little more refined with some of his pass rush techniques and i think that stuff's going to come and it's i would say pretty much the same thing for downs yeah that that was one thing when it comes to the edge guys just and it happens when you're getting tired and i know it was hot man it was hot i'm not going to pretend like that wasn't a factor it absolutely was but not a lot of what I call just like initial wins, right? In pass yeah. rush, you know what I mean? Like, oh, put a move on him, you beat, and you beat a tackle or a guard. There, there was not a lot of that. Yeah, you know, and I thought this was smart by UTEP. They didn't like our Mason Thomas. Very rarely had a clean edge rush. It almost always got chipped or or had like a an offset tied in or someone there to help on the edge and you know and, and you heard Vittables talking about it after the game that they got a ton of seven man protection and they did uh to initially slow down that rush and we tried to run a bunch of inside games and some of those games looked really good uh others uh not so much but again man it's just a work in progress it's the it's the first game you get to see some of it on film and I can guarantee you um that that film will be coached very hard when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, so, I mean, you give up, you only give up 316 yards of offense. They only score 13 points. You give up .9 a rush. Not There's a lot to work on, no doubt, but that is a, that's a physical football team that UTEP's got, and the I think the overall takeaway is this already it feels like is going is a much better tackling defense for Oklahoma. That's I think that's the big takeaway. Biggest takeaway for me. There's no doubt about it, and uh, it, it's just it's the explosive plays. We did not see one. the The thing that's been frustrating for people in the past is. I there's there's going to be it's it's hard to play defense in this day and age especially when you're you know there's RPOs and there's linemen eight yards downfield okay it's hard to play defense but what frustrates people is when you've got an open opportunity to tackle a guy and you can't bring him down and it turns into an explosive play or whenever there's clearly some type of bust in the secondary and you've got free runners in the passing game Neither one of those happened, and I think that's something to be really excited about. Hopefully, they can continue that. And uh, one other thing, and I we we talked to Ted Roof, uh, Plank, and I talked to him about it after after the game when we had him first post game interview. They didn't do much defensively, man. Right? Nope. There a lot of lot of deep zone coverage. They they knew that UTEP. The only way they were going to be able to hang in that game is to throw it over their head. And they said, we're not going to let that happen. Very conservative game plan defensively for Oklahoma and executed it at a at a solidly high level, in my opinion. I don't even think UTEP was able to even get a ball downfield to test this deep, were they? No. They? No, there wasn't one where you're like, oh, Hardison just missed it. Like, there wasn't right. a single one of those. Right. Yeah. Which is boring. Like to watch, it's boring. I get it, but you won 45 to 13. <laughs> so it's yep. like, that's I, what you do. And that's how it is. It's like you make them get bored to where they try and force something and force a football in, make a bad throw, make the first mistake. And that's whenever you pounce on them. And that's how it really worked out because, you know, we would, we would sit back and then we'd get a, a big sack or or something and we would really feed off of those big negative yardage plays. Yeah. Okay, let's talk some OU offense against UTEP. And we'll start with the quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, his first game out there on, on Owen Field as an Oklahoma Sooner. Thought he thought he managed the game pretty well. Right. Uh gotta see him got to see him early in the game, get loose with the legs a little bit, Ted. And that was something we talked a lot about, but he, he really, he looked good running the football, man. He did. I thought he was, there's something about his exchange that is very difficult to read. He's really smooth with it. And he's pretty explosive whenever he pulls it and gets going to the outside. He's got some good athleticism, has a little bit of shake to him. Um, I thought, you know, whenever he saw that end zone, he put himself not in danger, but 
you knew he was going to take a hit, but got the touchdown. Outside of that, whenever he pulled it, he was really smart at the end of the runs getting down. Yeah, and then when, when it comes to throwing the football, thought his accuracy was good on the day. And, and most of the throws, as I went back and watched it, most of the throws he missed, uh, I mean, he was getting affected as he's throwing the football. Whether a guy was hitting him, getting a hand near the ball, like those those were the throws that that he missed. Couple missed a couple deep ones, right? The first play of the game, you know, Tyler yeah. Guyton, and we'll get to the offensive line. Tyler Guyton, complete mental error, or else the first play of the game is a touchdown to Mims on the bomb. Like it, it would have been, but he's got a guy hitting him uh, almost before he's letting it go. But I mean, when you when you think about the throws that he, you know, had a clean pocket and just missed, there was one to Weiss on like a third and extra long on a deep out that he sailed. And then uh, a couple where, you know, he misses Farouk uh, on the deep ball. But other than that, thought he made good decisions for the most part with the football. Uh, thought he made good decisions in the majority of the RPO situations. Overall, I mean, you look at the stat line, uh, really, really solid first performance for Dylan Gabriel as OU's QB. I agree. Like That first um... – that first little spear he threw to Drake Stoops was an awesome play. Um, that, that was a really good-looking throw. A couple of deep balls uh, looked excellent. That deep ball to Mims was just a, a, a beautiful throw, placed perfectly. I thought he was poised. I thought he was under control. I thought he had great command of the offense. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. And, again, I think it's, I think it's something that's only going to get better and better as they go. Yeah. Uh, looking at the running back position – thought Eric Gray looked pretty good right now is he as explosive as Marcus Major I I don't know right I, I think you could see the the power that Marcus Major has I mean the guy's powerful as hell but Eric Gray looks sudden in some of those cuts right one-on-one in space made some guys miss right? with that little head fake he was using uh, had a few really nice runs had a nice catch out of the backfield in a fun little concept, they go quads into the boundary and he kind of trails this, you know, a, a vertical and just kind of pops into the middle of the field. Pretty cool concept there from Levy, but overall, I mean, he looked about the way that I thought he would look, Well, you know, talking about Eric gray. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was real happy with some of the stuff that he did. He had a couple of really nice cuts in the hole where it was just him one-on-one with the backer. And those are plays last year that, for whatever reason, he rarely was able to make that guy miss. And he did it over and over and over yesterday. Um, I, I think he's going to have a really solid year. And, yeah, I think him and Marcus Major, they're different. I think they're really complementary. I think they are. You know, whenever you've got a guy like Marcus Major that comes in and he's pouring it downhill and he's going to try and run through you and the very next snap you may have uh eric gray in there and you go up you're trying to bring everything that you've got with you because the last back just tried to run over you and you're going to be too far over your your toes and he's going to put one of those moves on you in the hole and you're going to lunge and miss so i think it's just a real complimentary uh back and forth between eric gray and marcus major major i i'm feeling 
I'm feeling really good about my touchdown prediction, right? Because you talk yeah. about a guy that can bring it in those short yardage and, and goal line situations. And I'm sure that's annoying for Eric Gray. I get it. Like you want to be the guy that's punching it in, but it's clear uh, 24 should be the go-to man in those situations because there were some violent collisions when he was pouring it downhill and he was kind of dragging guys. That was a uh, man, that was fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, that, that was, that was really fun to watch. Yeah, it's brutal whenever, like, you know, so it's supposed to end with the defense, like, knocking a running back. Uh, you get the positive yardage, and then you get knocked back. You shouldn't be getting plowed through and drug a couple of extra yards whenever you're on defense, but that's exactly what happens whenever he runs it. Man, he is low. He's got his legs churning, and he brings it. He's got a, I don't know, what's he? he's listed at, like, 218 219 right he's got to be every bit of 225 plus yeah he uh looking thick looking good certainly looking powerful and then got a little glimpse of Javante Barnes can't fumble the football young man uh don't do that that you you will be standing over with DeMarco Murray uh if you fumble the fumble the football but this is a guy banged up during camp but man it's clear He's got some juice, man. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, that he <laughs> he is explosive. And I just laugh thinking about UTEP. Oh god, finally the third team running back is in. <laughs> just, no, oh, that's, oh, you oh god. You don't want that. Yeah, he's I think just off of the limited amount of carries he had and how much pop that that he had and how much it, um uh, as you say, juice, he's going to get uh, more share of the carries as as we move forward. And that's the one thing you got to worry about with the young guys, ball security. You know, I, how much does that, does that dent his carries? I don't think, I don't think much right out of the gate because, you know, it, did, it wasn't a, didn't turn it over. But, you know, if, if he doesn't put the ball on the ground, he, I think he's going to continue to get more and more share of the snaps. Yeah. He, uh, he certainly flashed when he was touching it. There, there's no doubt. Okay, the wide receivers. Mims looked fast, man. I mean, he's talked a lot about how this is the best he's ever felt physically, you know, bigger, faster, and stronger. And he could have had a bigger game than he did, right? Just barely missed him on a couple of those shots down the field, but he looked good. And I was I, I was impressed with the route running, looked crisp, looked clean, but just the thing that really stood out when, when you watch it kind of, uh, you know, from the wide angle, man, he he definitely looks like he's got more speed this season. I know it's early and I know it's a long season, but he he it stood out to me watching him that, man, it looks it looks like he can really go right now. Yep, I totally agree. He was he looked good on, on a couple of those returns. He's he's got some good bounce to his step. I think he is. He's about to have his biggest season by far. I think. I, I he's going to be knocking on the door of uh, you know, thousand, eleven hundred, maybe twelve hundred yards receiving, which is a big accomplishment. But I think he's going to be there. Yeah, and I I love how the first play of the game is like, I just run by everybody, man, <laughs> and he did. <laughs> yep. And if the offensive line would have blocked it up correctly, it probably would have been a touchdown, which is frustrating because that would have been that would have been a lot of fun for everyone, but. 
looking at the other wide receivers, Farouk and Weiss, uh, both kind of quiet games, although it was just good seeing Theo Weiss out there healthy, right? I thought he, he looks good physically, right? Looks a little thicker. He looks He's looking good in the jersey. Farouk. Um, had a drop, di- didn't get a ton of targets, had a had a couple, you know, miss him on the deep shot, had a chance on one that called pass interference kind of later in the game. But I I think those guys, I, I thought they blocked well, which is important out on the perimeter. And Farouk just looks like a badass in those black cleats. I mean, it looks yeah. it looks fantastic. I mean, it's all it's an awesome look. I loved it. It is, it's very sharp. He looks good out there. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that it's, there's so many guys, receivers, that are good players that we expect big things from, but you, it's just so – everyone's not going to get a ton of opportunities in a given game, you know. It's it's going to be hard. Like, I was super excited to see Jaden Gibson. Jaden Gibson didn't get in the game till the fourth quarter. Yeah. No, he uh, – I mean, he wasn't – he wasn't in. Did like, we even see Nick, did we see Nick Anderson at all? I don't think so. I don't remember him on the field. At least, yeah. if yeah, if so. we did, it was at the very end of the game. And I, right. you know, you got to remember they are, they still have to keep track of the red shirt and all that stuff. Now you got the four game rules, so I, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, one guy we got to talk about. How about Gavin Freeman's first touches in Oklahoma Sooner? Awesome. The dude can go, man. He is. He's he's a playmaker. As Venables has been talking about him nonstop, he plays at full speed all of the time. Uh, it was a great play. I, you know, he made a couple of nice, really, really nice moves there, individual effort. But I'll tell you what, Braden Willis on that play blocks four people. Correct. He has the initial log block, right? He hooks the guy out there on the perimeter, gives the edge to Gavin Freeman, then gets a knockoff on that same block whenever a guy's trying to pursue. Then he hauls ass downfield, chases him all the way down to the five-yard line, lays out, dives, gets a punch on a guy that knocks off the other player just enough to where he's not able to knock Gavin Freeman out on the one-yard line. Just an exceptional play, effort play by Braden Willis, which when you watch the game, not a shock at all because he was killing people out there. It was awesome. Yeah, and the spin by Gavin Freeman to stay up and to finish that play, that was, I mean, it it was awesome. Just a really, really fun play. Um, Braden Willis might have been the best player on the field for OU. Yeah. Now, you, of course, the, the two touchdowns, the, that's great, right? Clearly, that's great. But what he did as a blocker, and no Daniel Parker in this game, right? So had had all, he had to do all the dirty work as a blocker and a lot of stuff where he's leading on linebackers. I, I mean, did a ton of blocking in this football game and he did his best stuff down around the goal line where he's, he's kind of wrapping around for the backside inside backer. And he put that dude on his back twice on touchdowns. And I, my favorite part about it, and just that this is kind of, you know, stuff that I get being down there on the field. He was way more fired up about those touchdowns where he's putting dudes on their ass compared to him scoring touchdowns. Like the celebrations 
were completely different. Like he's losing it with the touchdowns as a blocker. And he was kind of like all calm when he was the one scoring touches. It was, I, I thought that told you everything you need to know about captain Willis. Yeah, I, I agree. That's why post game, I have to pick a player of the game with Toby and I picked Braden Willis. And I said, he had four touchdowns because those two rushing touchdowns, he had pancake blocks on the ISO on the Mike backer. And in my opinion, that counts as a touchdown, but you know, he had, and it wasn't just on the inside, on the outside, some of the tunnel stuff. He had a pancake block on one of Drake Stoops catches, um, you know, just effort flying around the football field, finishing guys off, uh, you know, chasing the ball down the field, trying to get just a piece of someone. So a wide out or a back can get an extra yard or two. Excellent play by him, man. He was, he was awesome. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the craziest part about his performance, man, he, he just never looked tired either. Like he played nope. a ton of snaps. I don't know. And that that's a testament to his work in the off season. He, he was fantastic. Okay. Offensive line time. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll start by saying this. And this is, this is just me being real. If OU wants to win the big 12, this group's got to get a lot better. And I know they ran for 6.8. Carrie, I get, listen, but there's a certain way it's supposed to look. And that ain't it. So this group, it's got a long way to go. A long way to go. Um, I'll just go left or right. Tyler Guyton, I I saw glimpses of why they're so excited about him. The length, the athleticism, uh, the demeanor, the, the potential's there. I see it. I get it. Did some good things. But... He's got to have a better understanding of, and this is a little in the weeds, but like his body balance is bad. He got pulled to the ground a lot. Yeah, just way over his toes, a ton of weight forward. And I I get it. Like you want to be aggressive. You, You want to go knock the hell out of guys. I get it. But you have to understand leverage and balance. And he, he needs to, I'd like, if I could do one thing for Tyler Guyton right now, him and I, we do Pilates every day together. And I know that sounds like, wait, what the hell are you talking about? But it, it's clear he needs to strengthen his core. He needs to learn how to strain his core and balance the rest of his body by straining it and just connecting everything and stabilizing it. He doesn't have that right now. He doesn't have that right now. And if he's a long levered guy, so it's hard to create all of that, but the, the raw materials are there, man. It's just, he needs more strength. Uh, he needs more explosiveness. He's got to stabilize his core, but plays with good effort, which, Hey, that's, if you play with good effort, man, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be able to cover up a lot of deficiencies, but I'll just be honest. It was not, the type of performance I was expecting from him after all the things we had heard the coaching staff say about him. Like there were some, don't get me wrong. There were some really good moments, but there are a lot of times where I'm going, "Mm, man. Okay. Yeah. This guy, he's a work in progress. He hasn't been playing the position for a very long time, but it's, you, you can see it, but man, there's, there's some work. 
there's some work to be done. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I felt like a lot of a lot of his mistakes, he put himself in a bad position by I mental errors, maybe not knowing exactly where he's supposed to go, just looked right. a little out of sync at times, like he was stepping the wrong way or you know, it looked like a couple of times it's pass play. He's coming like like comes forward and then tries to get back to protect. Like there's some of those things in there that didn't help him, which may have been some of those, you know, first start jitters out there. But there's there was a couple of times where he's like hard down blocking and then coming up to a backer where he looks really athletic. Like he oh, covers yeah. a lot of ground and he moves. He looked like he was moving quicker than any of the offensive linemen out there. So you do see some of those flashes for sure. Just very, very raw right yeah. now in, in the footwork. Uh, he's just got to tighten everything up, kind of long and loopy with the feet at times, especially uh, later in the football game when he was tired. Um, you could see later in the game playing with really high pads, and he's a tall guy like you. You have to train yourself. When you're that tall, you have to train yourself to play low. And it's not fun to train yourself to play low when you're that tall. But he is, I see it, but long way to go. Yeah. I'm concerned about left guard. I, 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 I'm just going to straight up say it. I'm concerned. Because, now, first of all, uh, McCade Matar, Matower, Matar, I still don't know. He he's hurt. He's got to be because I've seen him practice in spring. I've seen him practice in training camp. I don't know who that guy was against UTEP. And just, just being down there on the field, like his, his demeanor. I, I don't think he was feeling very good. Like he's, there's no way he's a hundred percent after watching yeah. the game. Yeah, he was, he, there was no pop. He was Nothing. catching guys. He looked, he looked miserable. Unsure. Yeah. And, yep. and I mean, like, I there, there's no doubt in my mind, and I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone about it. There's no doubt in my mind he's not even close to 100% because I've seen what the guy looks like when he's healthy, and he looked nothing like that guy. He was just out there holding on for dear life. So I'm not going to judge him too much off that performance because he was kind of out there just trying his best to get in the way. And now whatever it is, got to get healthy, right? Because the way that he played, I'm just being real. Like you play Baylor, you play Oklahoma state, you play Kansas state. I was like, that ain't going to, it's not going to work and they'll attack him. Right. So he, he's got to get healthy. And then you had you had Robert Conjol come in, and he just did not put himself in very good spots with some of his initial footwork. It just and Conjol is what he is. He's backup, right? I think center's his best position by far. But he is he is a guy that you feel really good about. Like if he's got a spot start, or if you got to put him out there. You know, guy, guy gets nicked up, or like th this is the situation with uh, Matar not not looking good, not or at least not looking like he felt very good. That's where Conjol's got to come in and play well. He's got to play better than he did. But this is a guy that you know you're you're supposed to be able to count on him, knowing the knowing the offense inside and out because he's a center. 
right? And he just put himself in, in some some bad bad spots. So I I was not overly impressed with what he did. He's got to be better, especially if he's going to be kind of the interior swing backup for this team. And you when you get your chance, you got to play well. So that left guard position in general was clearly, as I went through and watched the tape, it was clearly a weak spot for this football team. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I you know, kind of saw the same thing with him. Um, were you surprised we didn't see more Savion Bird? I I watched so I watched every snap. So when the twos win it, like that guy, he's gifted physically. You can tell. I mean, I just I just don't know if he knows what he's doing. Like it, <laughs> he he caused, and I know their backups were in defensively, but like he caused more movement in his limited number of snaps at the left guard position late in the game than Conjol and Matar caused the entire game. Like you can see, you're just like, oh my gosh, okay, 59. Look at him using the levers. Look at like, hey, this guy's coming off the rock trying to, like he's trying to inflict pain on people. If, if they can figure out how to, get him out there with confidence like he like and know what he's doing like yeah he should start at guard for this team he should like when you just look at the physical tools but there's more to it than that man you know like if they can't trust him they can't put him out there when you know when the game really matters but yeah that you you talk about pop whoa yeah 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 he's he's definitely got it um how how much okay so you've got some some concerns there how much of it is oh actually i'll let you finish up you still got to hit uh rame and and murray and and harrison i you know rame did he he looked he looked better than the vast majority of stuff he put on tape last year i i will say that i still i i i just want to beg the guy to use his hands more he needs to grab people. He's still in this mode of putting hands on and pushing people away instead of grabbing them and pulling them in and making his life easy. I don't know why he wants to make his life so hard. I I, I don't understand it. I, I just don't. But the physicality there is there. The effort is there. Seem to be pretty, uh, you know, in pretty good control and command of getting everyone on the same page. So, but he, he's got to get better, man, especially some of the, and some of the stuff they're doing kind of, I, I guess I'll call it inside zone on the front side. Like if they're going to block it the way that they're blocking it, like he's got to play with lower pads. I mean, he's absolutely like, if they want to generate movement with the way that they're trying to do it, he's got to get down and hit guys on their hip instead of in their shoulder pad. Like you're not moving it. You, if you hit the hip of a defensive tackle, that's how you're moving them. If you're playing up here around the pad, around the shoulder, you're, you're just, I mean, you might as well not even touch it, man. So I, 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 I know I'm sounding very negative right now. I'm fully aware of that, but I just have really, really high expectations for this group. So I, I expect rain to continue to get better. Um, looking at the right guard spot, Chris Murray is solid. You know, he, he 
he's a short guy, so he plays with good pad level, right? He he uses his hands well. And this was something that troubled him last year, and it's annoying for me to see it again. Like his eyes are his biggest issue. Now, because he, he's not going to get any taller, his arms aren't going to get any longer, right? He has to play with great eye discipline. He's got to put his eyes in the right place, especially on his double teams in the run game. Like there's there are too many snaps where I'm watching going, okay, where's this combination working? Why aren't why aren't you guys looking at where you're working? Like, who are you going to? There's too many of those. But I will say, just from a footwork perspective, you know, uh, an initial pop out of his stance perspective, I thought that Chris looked as about, about as good as he's looked since he got to OU. And then right tackle, Anton Harrison deserves some credit because it's not easy that late in the game, right, to flip. I mean, this is a guy that's worked all offseason at left tackle and to have to flip to right tackle basically the week of the opener I, I think it's it's a real testament to his ability that he was able to you know kind of make it work and he's clearly stronger at the point of attack he looked a little hesitant and uncomfortable in that right-handed stance uh, but this this is probably the best way to say it compared to you know what between when you compare what it looked like and what I expect it to look like, it wasn't very good because he's looked really, really good at left tackle. But I, I'm not going to read too much into it because I think when he flips back, it's going to look the way that it should. If that make does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I you know obviously my my eye on offensive line isn't isn't specialized. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I thought like in his past pro, he looked like, he looked like a veteran. Like he looked experienced. He looked calm. like knew where his body positioning needed to be. He trusted like his, his technique didn't like panic and reach and lunge at guys. Um, I thought he looked good there. A really good sign that I thought is he's learning how to cheat. Yes. Uh, he, you got to learn how to cheat. And I saw a couple of veteran moves out there with some holding and spinning guys around and yeah, of course started, started to look like a, an experienced tackle. You, you have to, you have to have counters when you get beat and uh, some of the stuff in pass pro, his hips getting a little too rotated, but I, I think that's, that's a product of him playing on the right side and not having a ton of work over yeah. there. I thought he was way more proactive with his hands. He looks stronger. Right, he just looks. It, he looks like he's harder. There's to There's a couple of times where there he's got a D end, and and that guy's like doing everything he can, and he's just patient, one hand in him. Yeah, I I want to see him go back to left tackle. I, I really do because then I think we'll kind of get the full the a, a better understanding what of what he can be. Uh, any other things offensively? I they well, did the thing where they looked at the sideline and snapped it twice. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Well, I, yeah, I like that because it it forces the defense in the future and also in that game to you better get ready and go ahead and show what you're in, right? Uh, if you're going to try and wait it out and disguise and answer what they're doing, we're going to uh, quick snap it on you guys, so you better go ahead and show whatever it is that you're in. So also, I did like that. Uh, and one of the other things it does is like, 
normally when the offense is looking to the sideline, the defense rests, right? Yeah. Defensive linemen go to a knee, linebackers relax, you know, stand up. Now that this is on tape, all these teams here in the near future that are prepping for OU, they're going to say, hey, you got to be ready. They may snap it. You got to be ready. And those guys having to stay in a stance when OU's doing that, that just that accumulates throughout a game, right? That uh, having to stay in that stance and, and use that energy, it, it adds up. But anything else offensively? We hit a lot there, but anything else? Well, I, I just wanted to ask you, like, how much, how much does Wanye coming back at right tackle and Anton Harrison going back to left tackle? How much does that fix the offensive line issues that you saw? Like, how big of an impact would that have on it? I think it should. It should help quite a bit, right? Because while while Guyton, like you think about how Guyton played at left tackle, um, it's going to be a big upgrade with Anton over there. And not saying that Guyton's not going to be a really good player down the line. He is. He's going to be a good player down the line. But Anton, just how how much sturdier he looked compared to Guyton, and he's playing out of position or he's playing where he's a little uncomfortable there on the right side, it's going to be an upgrade at left tackle. And then with the way that Anton played at right tackle, I would expect a similar-ish level of performance from, from Wanye. So... I think it will be it will be an upgraded offensive line once Wanya gets back there at the right tackle spot. The left guard spot is the spot. They got it, they gotta figure it out. Like well, that's Matar's gotta get healthy. Gonna, I was gonna ask is if you've got Harrison back at left and would like would you feel more comfortable putting Bird in at left when you've got Harrison back at left tackle? Like if you've got Guyton at left tackle, you don't want to put say you don't want to have the blind leading the blind over there. Like yeah. you know, if you can have if you can have Harrison back at left, do you feel more comfortable putting Savion Bird in between him and Rain? You you would assume so, right? Two guys, you know, Rain played a lot of football last year. Anton's played a lot of football. You you lean on those guys to to make sure Savion Bird knows what he's doing, right? right. But uh I mean, the, these jobs, you know, time on the field is earned on the practice field. And if yep. if Savion Bird doesn't have Bill's trust because he's not practicing at a high enough level, then I don't know. But it, it's clear Savion Bird's got more pop than anyone that played left guard uh, yesterday or what? Yeah, Saturday. So I. This, this is what pisses me off about dumb things turning into suspensions and guys missing it's not just that Wanye is missing two games now Harrison has to move from left tackle where he's been comfortable and go play at right tackle which stunts his growth and his development at left and where he's comfortable and work like it just it makes everything fall apart and it stunts the entire offensive line's growth pisses me off pisses me off too man um one other thing, uh, th- th- what a transition, what a perfect transition that we, uh, we, I think we, we got to talk about, we had the, the crowd, right? Uh, most notably the student section and, you know, I know it was hot. I hope everyone is all good. You know, I go underneath, uh, to go see my wife and my son, uh, go up and see them. 
there on the east side. I was walking underneath. There are a lot of people getting medical attention in those little areas, so I hope everyone's good. I, I know it was hot. I, I get it. And, and I'm, I'm asking this sincerely. Like, I know it was UTEP. What, what needs to be done to encourage students to stay longer at the games? I'm asking, like, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to be the old guy saying you guys need to stay. I, I want to know what, what can OU seriously, like, what can they do to, that would, that would encourage them to stay? Because when you've got students, when it's 21 to 10, and you've got students leaving in the middle of the second quarter, like, I, it's discouraging. And don't, don't think that the players and the coaches and everyone doesn't notice that. I, I just, I, I'm asking, like, what can OU do? Like, is it $2 beer? Like, what is it? What can they do? Because the 11 a.m. kickoffs were too early, right? Now the right. 2.30 is too hot. The 6 p.m., yeah, we want to get to the bars. It's too late. Like, tell me what, tell me what OU can do to get these students to stay. Like, I'm, I, I'm sincerely asking. I, I want to know what can be done. I think the only thing that can be done is there has to be a compelling game in front of them. And I know there was a lot of excitement about the opener, but, you know, you score real fast and everyone says, well, this thing's over. They're baking there on the east side. I, I'm not making excuses, but I like I I think the only thing you could do is there's got to be something compelling going on on the field, and if there's not, it's going to be incredibly difficult to keep students' attention. And that's not just OU students; that's that's everyone. Like I go back to that that Pitt West Virginia game, and that was an awesome atmosphere. And the only thing I could think of is uh, everyone I saw was holding a beer and it was a, it was a compelling game. It was a tight game from start to finish. So that helped. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. So the answer is don't schedule UTEP. <laughs> no, don't no, schedule Kent state. The answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. wish I had something. Yeah. It's just I, if you're an OU student, like send some suggestions our way, and we'll try to relate it. Because, and I know we we bring up a lot of oh well when we get to the SEC, like but that's but it's true. And uh, don't don't think that you like the the Oklahoma football team is going to need that student section at some point this year. So I, I don't know. It's just, but it, it's impossible not to notice during the game. I know because you have a, a, a gaping hole right in the, right in the area where you kind of need it the most, right? Right behind the, the visitor's bench. I say like if at, at some point you start moving the student section to a different area. If they're going to continue to bail 
with those premium seats where I mean that's a good spot where we need it. Send them somewhere else. I don't know, man. But it's, I mean, it's frustrating. I feel like it's just frustrating for everyone. So we'll, uh, I don't know. All right, birthday shout-outs. Or wait, did I skip call your shot? We haven't done call your shot, have we? No. Okay, call your shot. We asked you guys, biggest takeaway from OU's win over UTEP. This is a great one. It comes from Jonathan Fazakis. In the locker room, seeing Coach Venables get choked up is an assurance that he loves his players, and we have our guy. That was, if you haven't seen it, uh, Joe Castiglione and Joe Harris presented Brent Venables with a game ball because it's his first win as a head coach, and our guy got a little choked up, man. It was awesome. That was so cool. No, it was. It was awesome. Um, you know, there, there's a there's a whole lot that has to happen to get to this moment, and and to get that first W, uh, it, it's emotional. It was a great time, and like that, it, it was a big win. But I can assure you, just especially listening to the coaches post game, that's going to be a you know what type of coaching session that's going to be. I mean, they're they are not going to be light on these guys after that game. Yeah. All right. Let's get to birthday shoutouts. Happy first birthday to Perry West. Happy fifth birthday to Andrew Henson. Okay, we've got a late edition fifth birthday, Ted. Happy birthday to Braxton Johnson. Nice. Happy ninth birthday to Violet Shirley. Happy 26th birthday to Price Hedenreich. Wow, nicely done. Happy 28th birthday to Jeffrey Morton. Happy 28th birthday to Sidney Robles. Happy 38th birthday to Joe Newman. Happy 67th birthday to Karen Javine. Javine. Yes. Javine is what I was thinking. All right. I, I'm Now I'm going back on Sidney Robles. Is it Robles? It's got to be Robles, right? This is the hardest thing we do on this podcast. Uh, it's easy to talk about football, reading people's birthday. Uh, it's just this is the hardest thing we do. Hard to tell. I I I think you just stick with the way you said it. I think that was good. All right, let's let's get to the national college football roundup. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24 hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. The coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. And Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. 
That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student knows overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, National College Football Roundup. Let's recap some of the biggest games from week one. Number 11, Oregon against number three, Georgia. And oh, my God, Uh, that was a thorough ass kicking. Uh, We were wrong about this one, man. This game was not not close. We we thought Oregon would be able to battle at the line of scrimmage with Georgia. Ted, we were very, 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 very wrong. Whoa. Yeah. 49 Um, to three. And it could have been way worse. Georgia yeah. called the dogs off in the fourth. That is not what I expected going in. Um, yeah, Oregon outmatched, outclassed. Uh, Stetson Bennett was excellent. the The offense for Georgia was was probably for me was the most surprising part of that. Uh, putting up those type of numbers, smooth, efficient. Yeah, Oregon. That that is a humbling experience to go uh dan lanning back to atlanta with the number 11 oregon team and face that that was brutal yeah and got the bad bo nicks uh was not very effective in the passing game through a atrocious interception um oregon didn't do much in the running game either Uh, it's just Georgia's defense lost all those guys. So he said, okay, you know, something's got to give, right? All those first rounders. No, uh, they looked, the Georgia's defense looked like a freak show again. And, and then Georgia's offense, they, they could just do whatever they wanted to Oregon's defense. Yep. And you mentioned it. Stetson Bennett looked good. They ran it well with Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. McIntosh was just a monster catching the ball out of the backfield. I mean, they just destroyed Georgia. Lad McConkey looks like about the fastest little white wide receiver I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I mean, Georgia, they, they look like the best team in the country. I mean, they were dominant at the line of scrimmage, just all kinds of speed at the skill position. Stetson Bennett, like, I, and I, I watched a little bit of Bama against Utah State. I mean, not not going to learn much from that one. But for Georgia to come out with all the change that they've had and to smack Oregon like this, I mean, I think they should be number one. This was this was an ass kicking of epic proportions. I mean, it, if you didn't watch it, like you see the score, it wasn't even close. Like the score would have been way worse if if Kirby Smart didn't like Dan Lanning. So much for the championship hangover, right? Oh my that gosh! Was, uh, yeah, they came out on fire, ready to go, and I'm with you that they should uh, 
definitely be number two if they're not number one. Um, how about Stetson Bennett, man, coming out and playing the way he did against Oregon? You know, he's got a million reasons to question himself and 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 maybe lack confidence, but he keeps plugging through and proving the the naysayers wrong. He was excellent. They're yeah, gonna be. I, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting, like, he's got some wheels, too. Yeah. Like, he can do some stuff with his feet. So, man, just a about as dominant of a performance as you'll see in, in a week one marquee game. My goodness, Georgia. Georgia's going to be a problem. All right. Number seven, Utah, went to the swamp and lost to the Florida Gators. Florida wins 29-26. Ted, you tried to talk me into Utah. We did TV together on Friday. I reconvinced myself and picked Florida to win. I feel like a genius. It was a good pick. It was what a football game though, man. That was that was probably the most physical game that I saw all day. Uh it was I mean, Utah and Florida were just punishing each other and came down to the very end. And a poor decision, frankly, by Cam Rising, who had played really good the entire night, uh, didn't need to make that throw at that time. Uh, th- no reason to risk that with where they sat in the football game and what was going down. Uh, but an awesome play there by Florida defensively to get the interception to win it. I think both of those teams are going to be really good. Uh, here's the interesting thing. Utah lost to Florida, but that – that loss doesn't eliminate them from the playoff. No. I Oregon lost agree. to Georgia, and that loss totally eliminates them from the playoff. Yes. Um, you cannot, there's no way you're going to be able to justify anything after that. There's right? no coming back from that ass whooping. There's no coming oh. back. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunate for landing at Oregon, but this, the, the Utah Florida game, like the second half of that game was awesome. And, Anthony Richardson is electric. Yeah. I mean, how fun is that guy to watch? And it just an absurd athlete at that size. I mean, and everyone's talking about the rushing touchdowns. He had three of them, like the way that he was able to sling it. The, what the pump fakes, whirly bird thing he did on the two point <laughs> conversion. Never seen that. That was, I mean, that was incredible. But I, I mean, the first drive of the game. Like Florida's going right down the field. They fumble, and it looks like Utah's DB is going to scoop and score, and Anthony Richardson just runs him down and knocks it like 15 yards out of bounds. I was just like, oh, my God. I mean, he – Ted, I, I don't even know how you defend a guy like that. Like, he's – I mean, if he throws the ball accurately, I I don't know what you do. He's He is a freak show. You don't do anything, really. You just pray. Uh, you know, you pray that you can make some plays on in the passing game and contain him enough where his legs don't absolutely kill you. But you know, quarterbacks that are that are that explosive and that athletic and talented that can do both, that can beat you with the run and the pass, you just hold on for dear life. <laughs> That's about all you could do. Yeah, and Florida's running game looked good too. I mean, I yeah. really liked how those zone schemes looked. Uh, some of the boot stuff they built off of it, getting Richardson out on the edges. I, I thought I thought Billy Napier's game plan was smart, 
right? That he he ran it at the edges of Utah's defense, didn't try, you know, to run it. A lot of inside zone stuff stretched him, made him play in space. I I still can't believe Cam Rising made that throw, though. I mean, he he played so well up to that point, not only as a passer, but using his legs. But I I have no idea what he was looking at. The guy was double covered. Uh, it just, at the very least, at the very least, that game should have gone to overtime. It, I bet you if they hand it to Tavion Thomas, and I know the timeout situation was what it was, but man, Florida's defense was not stopping that running game from Utah. They probably could have handed it to Thomas at there, and he probably would have scored, and they would have won. Yeah. But just can't make that mistake. Nope. Nope. And it was uncharacteristic because he's, he's money. He's a really good quarterback. That was just, uh, you know, the moment trying to force something in there, trying to win it. And you just didn't have to do it at that time. Frustrating for them. But like I said, I, you know, I don't think that eliminates them from anything. Uh, all that does is kind of announce to the rest of the, the world and the sec that Florida is going to be dangerous this year. Yeah, Anthony Richardson's ridiculous. I mean, he is – he's going to be – he's – I mean, and there's an argument. We'll see how the season unfolds, but he is going to be must-see TV. Yep. Like, uh, he is – I mean, it's like if Cam Newton and Vince Young had a baby. It's just – it's fun to watch, man. And I, I, I'm with you on Utah. I think that – they can still play their way back into this thing. But I, I will say they got a couple tight ends that are really fun to watch. Like there's a lot yeah. to like about Utah, but ultimately just an absolutely massive win for Billy Napier in his opener. I mean, just huge. Yeah, that was, yeah, that, that for an opener, like your first win, that is, that's big time. That's big time to knock off a, a number seven Utah, and I, I, that is a legit number seven. Like I think Utah is that good. I got no problem with them being ranked where they are. So to get that win, that is a legitimate big time win for Florida, and something that they're going to be able to really build on there with that program. And you know, he's he's a he's the type of coach that takes something like this in the proper direction. You know, I I think that I think Florida's going to be they're in good hands right now with Napier. Yeah, and uh, there were there were some people questioning kind of the clock management at the end of that game, but hey, it all ended up working out for them. So it's a huge win for Florida. I'm sure that they will catapult in the rankings after after Anthony Richardson uh, and that show he put on. So we'll we'll see, but I will I will not be shocked if they're like 15th. Uh, this week yeah. in the AP poll. Okay, the uh, it was the headliner of week one. Number five, Notre Dame, went to number two, Ohio State, and the Buckeyes get a 21-10 to 10 win. Uh, now good teams win, but great teams cover, Ted. Look at the Irish <laughs> go. But I watched I, – I, I went back and watched this entire game Sunday morning. It almost, it almost felt like an NFL game. I yeah. mean, a lot of talent on the field, lots of punts, field position mattered a lot, like some momentum swing. Like it felt very National Football League to me. But it, the funny part about it is people, people seem to complain a lot about the fact that when, you know, these big time games happen, 
and usually it's in the college football playoff in the semifinals. Like they complain about the big blowouts. Like we want more competitive games between the top teams. Like why can't we get more competitive games? And then we actually get one and people are like, what the hell's wrong with Ohio state's offense? Like what's their problem? And, and Jackson Smith and Jigba being banged up early in that game certainly didn't help, but it was just a competitive physical football game. Like, And I know, it's weird for people to watch that, but that's what it was. I thought it was fantastic. I, I bet I, I you thought, loved it. Yeah, I thought Notre Dame played really well, forcing that game to kind of stay in their wheelhouse. Uh, you know, kept kept Ohio State from turning it into a uh, you know up and down the the field type of game. I I was. Even though they didn't put up many points, I still thought Notre Dame's offense, um, you know, that was the biggest question mark for me. And I saw some flashes there that they have a chance to be pretty decent. But, you know, the the real win here goes to Ohio State's defense, right? You know, that they were not good a year ago. And Ryan Day makes the, makes the move, gets rid of the defensive coordinator, hires Knowles, who comes in, and – they in first game out playing a top five Notre Dame team to hold them to 10 points. Uh, really, really impressive stuff. I thought, I thought Ohio state's defense looked really good. And, you know, I guess I feel different than most people. I, I feel like this winning this game in the fashion that they did makes Ohio state a more dangerous team than I thought they were previously. I completely agree with that. Like they won ugly. They they won a physical game, right? It, it wasn't all just like space and speed. Like they dominated the fourth quarter of this game. I I mean they ran it all over Notre Dame in the fourth quarter. And man, what was it like ninety five yards, seven plus minutes off the clock? Like that is impressive stuff against a team like Notre Dame. And that that running back combo of Henderson and Williams. Whew. I mean, that's tough stuff, man. But CJ Stroud, he was, he was pretty efficient in the game, missed some throws. I, I did think he made some really nice throws on the move when he was kind of had to flee the pocket, ha- had some really nice throws mentioned Smith and Jigba being banged up to clearly, you know, you lose arguably the best wide receiver in college football. And he, he just, you know, that that takes away from your offense, but I will say Emeka Buka, that guy's good. He's gonna be he's gonna be their next star at wide receiver. And I I just I thought Ohio State won a style of game that it feels like they've struggled with recently. Right, kind of a defensive, physical, who can run it better, who can control field possession type game. Like, I feel like that's a game they've struggled with. And ultimately, they played an opener against the top five football team. They dominated the fourth quarter where they ran the hell out of the football and they won. And a lot of people are going to be like, what's wrong with the offense? It's just, it's silly, man. Yeah. I, I, um, like the opening week really like the opening three weeks of college football is tough because i if you're an ohio state fan you see teams like that are your main competition like like a georgia 
or an Alabama go out and score all kinds of points against their opponents. And I know like, Utah State is not what Oregon is, but I, there's such a discrepancy between the competition. I Don't worry about that. Worry about the game you're watching. And you're watching two really good teams. And the fact that you can get it done in in a way that you couldn't have got it done a year ago with your defense should be happy about that. Yeah. All right. Let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. scrolling. I'm leaving it in. I had the wrong thing pulled up. It's time to get back out on the golf course, people. And there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf. Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that's already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool, after mowing the lawn, at the tailgate, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. They've got new flavors. To find a place near you that has Clubbies, visit ClubbySeltzers.com. And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses, by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk, purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area? Use the Ranallo Cloud Group. Stacia Ranallo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service. And that's exactly what they gave Gabe. They sold a house for Gabe. They found a house for Gabe's brother. And they also found a house for Lane Johnson. We can't recommend them enough. You can reach them by calling or texting Stacia at 918 918- 671-6450 or you can contact them on Instagram at at sold by Stacia and at sold by Maddie underscore. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Iowa. It takes a special skill to be able to win a football game by kicking a field goal and getting two safeties. Not only does it take a special program to be able to do that, it takes a special program to not have a single game-changing player at quarterback for about as long as I can remember, at least 20-plus years. And they've Iowa's been a good, solid program. I mean, there's years where they're, you know, right there, top 10, fringe top 10 for big portions of the season. No game changer at quarterback. I I just, I wonder how good would they be if they ever 
got someone that could make some plays, run the football a little bit, use their legs, get outside the pocket, push the ball down the field. But, hey, to be able to win a game only kicking a field goal on offense, it's impressive. (laughs) It doesn't happen very often. Spencer Petras, 11 of 25, one interception, a QBR of 1.1. Hey. I so if you if you did not see any of the Iowa San Diego State game, Iowa won 7 to 3. They scored 7 points via field goal and two safeties. Right. It was disgusting. Only if it was San Diego State. It was actually South Dakota State. Oh, South South Dakota State. Sorry. The Jackrabbits. (laughs) Right. But that makes it worse. SDSU. The Jackrabbits. Um, That was... That was because I watched the highlights of it. That was tough. That was a tough watch. (laughs) The highlights? I I just don't... think it's a tough watch? It's tough putting together the highlights of that football game. That's that's tough duty for whoever (laughs) has to put those together. But the confusing part is, and we talked about this when Barrett's named Peaches the starter, how can they not get a transfer portal QB? They've got a really good defense. Really good. They've had a really good defense the last couple years. How can they not get someone from the portal? Like they should call out a Hudson card right now and say, Hey man, you want to come like somebody. Uh, the quarterback at UTEP Hardison is way better than anything that they've had there in a long time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Give him a call ferrets. I, I mean, it's uh, unbelievable. The game was five to three for a long time. <laughs> just unbelievable and and south dakota state their quarterback i don't know if he tore his acl he got hurt bad yeah in that game uh fairly early on so it was the backup quarterback that was just crazy but hey they're the winner because i it it takes a special skill i don't know how you do it but amazing stuff by iowa 166 yards of total offense for iowa I mean, not against Wisconsin, not against Michigan, not against Ohio State, South Dakota State. All due respect to South Dakota State. At least it was South Dakota State, not South Dakota. Right. Because South Dakota State's the good one. So I just, all right, who do you have as your loser of the weekend other than Iowa fans who had to watch that game? Oh, man. Can you imagine? Now, that is a sports radio host uh, dream right there is to play a game like that because, buddy, that that following week, people are going to be lighting up the phone lines. Um, I had to go uh, – well, I thought about going with the, <laughs> the, the punter from UCLA. Did you see that punt block? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what was that? I don't know, but – a player came free up the middle and just plowed directly into the punter like a bulldozer, carried him, pushed him all the way back like five yards, and someone just picked up the ball and walked into the end zone. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, but I ended up going with Quinn Ewers, who got the win, and Texas looked pretty good against UL Monroe, but 
somehow Quinn Ewer's car got towed during the football game. How does that happen? I don't know. Like it, I'm guessing that Quinn Ewers drives a really sweet car. That yeah. you would assume, right? I, you would assume like, does he not have a parking permit? Like, how does is there not player parking? I would think that there's a secured player parking during the game. I I never had a parking permit when I was at OU, but there was a secured parking area for the players on game day like where we parked yeah. uh where the where and it's not like where you show it's like where you go the day before and you get on the buses and you go to the hotel and everything so i don't know i was shocked by that i i thought that that was i mean hilarious is just very very interesting i don't know how that happens but uh i haven't seen much of those highlights but sounds like texas looked pretty decent yeah he, he he threw an interception, but um, man, they've got guys, and you're only going to learn so much against Louisiana Monroe. But I mean, Bijan Robinson's a dude. Xavier Worthy's a dude. Like I, we're going to learn a lot about that team because they get Bama this week. Oh boy! So we'll we'll see how it goes. Right? That's you talk about a measuring stick game for Steve Sarkeesian and for Texas football, but. Yeah, Ewers looked he looked fine, right? He looked fine in his debut. Is you know, Kirby Smart and Oregon is is kind of gonna be like the same situation here with Alabama and Texas, right? Don't you think Saban is going to prove a point here before Texas transitions to the SEC? I I would assume Nick Saban wants to win a hundred to zero. Yeah. I yeah. don't think they're gonna pull call the dogs off. I think they're gonna absolutely bury Texas. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see, but we we know Bama likes going into the state of Texas and taking the top players out of that state. So yeah, they're gonna try to embarrass Texas and we'll see if Texas yeah, lets this, them. This isn't a game that's just a you know, a big non conference game. Like right. this is in Saban's mind, this is a very strategic football game for representation in the state of texas in recruiting yeah no doubt all right let's get to my winner and loser but first first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs checking accounts savings accounts home loans and much more they do it all whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone everything is stress-free with FFB, making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate. And you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. 
And that is why it has won more than 25 awards last, but certainly not least. you got to buy some of Balcony's Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, in 2012, Balcony's Single Malt won the Best in Glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcony's products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners... Yeah, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconiesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, I know I'm not supposed to compliment anything when it comes to USC, (laughs) especially the defense under Alex Grinch. Like, I understand that. But, and I understand Rice is off. They are. But they won 66 to 14, which is a good start, right? Under Lincoln Riley. But the defense, they they weren't great in the first half. Rice moved the ball pretty well. But they did end up having four interceptions, and three of them were pick sixes against Rice. That's, that I mean, helps out. That helps out. That certainly helps out. Three pick sixes, that is, that's very hard to do. So I'm going to give them a compliment because that's very hard to do, Ted. Is that okay? Can I do that? You could do that. Impressive. Uh, doesn't happen very often, and when it does, I, I'm trying to remember. I think we talked about this one time. Scoring a touchdown on defense or on special teams in a game is almost impossible to lose the game at that point. Statistically, like the edge you get in winning a game when you score on defense or special teams is insane. You do it three times. Yeah, that's uh, that's something incredible. Yeah, but my winner of the weekend, and the timing was annoying, but it's still exciting, the 12-team playoff. College football playoff expansion. It's coming. We knew it would come eventually, but it is coming. Uh, now, the timing, not great by the CFP board of managers. Would have liked to have just been able to focus on the games in week one, but the fact that we're getting... The 12 team playoff is awesome. And they did the right thing because we are getting home college football playoff games, CFP games on college campuses, like the good Lord intended. So, this is uh, the single greatest development in the history of college football. It is home playoff games, it is going to create some of the best atmospheres we've ever seen in this sport. And I can't wait. Now, not going to hold my breath that this is going to get done before 2026 because, right, these presidents of these universities said, all right, commissioners, work together and handle it. Okay. Yeah, we've seen how that has gone. And, you know, this is something that should, the ball on this should have gotten rolling a long time ago, right? Uh, I mean, we're literally doing the exact thing that Greg Sankey and Bob Bowlesby and that, you know, that, committee recommended it's just it's silly but kevin warren and jim phillips and george klyavkov they threw their temper tantrum and here we are we're right where we should have been in the first place so yeah the big 10 said ah we don't care anymore we're rich we do whatever you guys we're rich do you see our tv (laughs) deal we're so rich but we don't care 10 12 18 doesn't matter yeah whatever i and one of the main thoughts because i do think you know the five through eight seeds having a home playoff game is massive, right? It's huge for the school 
uh, you, when you think about revenue generation, it's huge for the community, right? That's another home game for all the bars, the restaurants, the hotels, like uh, and a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be massive for those communities. I wonder how they're going to compensate the four teams that get a buy because they're not going to get that, which right. it well, feels, it almost feels like you get the buy. The buy is a great thing, right? You're getting to rest, but, Missing out on all of that if you're that community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it feels like oh, yeah. it feels like they're almost being punished for getting a buy. I know. It it is it is strange. Now, back whenever it was first proposed, and I lost my freaking mind the first time I heard this. I was like, What? Yes, this is awesome. Um they they threw out that the ticket sales, concession sales in stadium revenue that's produced in these games just goes into the pot that everyone shares. So even though you're 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 not going to be able to host like hosting a game like for the university isn't necessarily going to be like it's not like you get to keep all of that extra money. Now, all of the stuff around the stadium absolutely but i think like tickets concession that type of stuff in the stadium goes into the pot for everyone to share that's in the playoff or however they break that down yeah i i'm sure uh, i'm sure no um let's go with creative accounting accounting. (laughs) some creative accounting we couldn't sell any tickets we couldn't sell them it was crazy yeah but uh it is it's going to be interesting to see how that entire thing works. I, I do want to say something because this is exciting. I think I think this continues to make the regular season matter. I, I don't really understand the arguments that people say it's going to matter less. It's stupid. I think this is going to make games in November matter even more. It's going to give fan bases more hope. Like This is going to make more fan bases more engaged for longer into the season which is how the game grows, which is how you grow the sport. And that that's very, very important. I, Ted, let me know what I'm missing. Because there's there are several people that work in college football media that are complaining about expansion. I do not understand. What am I missing? I, I don't know. I don't... It, and... Uh, I've racked my brain over this for years because I heard the same thing going from the BCS to the 14 playoff is that it devalues the regular season. And I can't, I just can't wrap my head around the concept. A lot of times when someone throws an idea at me, I I can either agree or disagree, but I can usually see like, like where it, like the intention, but I don't even understand how, how it could devalue the regular season. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. It makes the regular season more important to more teams. And the more important it is to more teams, the more important it is to your team. Because there, you think because there's 12 teams, now all of a sudden your your home game against Baylor doesn't count as much, doesn't mean as much. What? I Every game means everything anyways. I just don't understand. I don't, I can't grab that concept. The other thing that I don't understand, and it's, it's totally wrong. Like one of the big complaints about the 14 playoff is the blow blowout games, right? 
Right. And so you say, well, 12 teams, now those games are going to be even worse. No, they're going to be better. Why are they going to be better? Well, because the top teams aren't going to be playing like like the the first time you'd have four buys, right? Right. And the four buys, like the other games, like outside of the top four, that's who's playing. And those games are going to be awesome because they're like, out, once you get outside of the top tier, it's really hard, right, for those teams to compete with the top tier teams. Like whenever you look at the bracket breakdown, you're going to have a, a ton of incredible football games. If you go back and apply the 12-team playoff, to last year, like like what how it ended, you would have amazing games all the way through. So, and who cares if they're blowouts, right? It, that doesn't even matter. They're they're great matchups in a great environment. There's going to be more of them. This is going to keep players from the top teams from bouncing to go to the draft. No one cares about the bowl system anymore. I'm sorry. There's a lot of nostalgia around the bowl system, and I, you know. I went to some bowl games and they were great experiences, but no one cares about that anymore if it's not in the playoff. And that was a byproduct of the 14 playoff. And, you know, maybe if you could ever go back and, and change that, then you could keep the bowl system. But once you went to the 14 playoff, it made everything else irrelevant. This is the way to make those games important. Again, they're going to add them in to the, what is it? The second round is going to be the New Year Six, right? Not how that worked. Yep. I I think it's all just it it, it is a uh, positive for college football in a million different ways. And uh, one of the arguments, is like, well, the same teams are going to win the national title. So yeah, I mean, now one thing we don't know is how more access to the playoff will affect recruiting, especially the top talent in recruiting classes. Because right now, you look at the top players, I mean, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, like a lot of those top 10, 15 guys are going to a handful of schools. We don't know. We can assume, but we don't know how the top players in the country, like how this will affect, like more access. Will this be, will this be a reason that a guy who lives in Florida – chooses Florida now instead of Alabama. Like, we don't know. So, like, it's going to take time to know how more access to the playoff will affect recruiting, which will then affect the talent level of rosters across the country. Now, the teams that are investing just unbelievable amounts of money into the program, like, they're going to continue to be the top-tier teams, right? Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, like the teams that are really investing the money like that's not going to change but people people act like they know how this is going to affect that stuff like we don't know it's going to take time to see what happens well and here's the other thing i and i don't know exactly how the calendar is on this is going to work but if you look at the current current situation the 14 playoff the what right around december one two or three is whenever the SEC, Big 12, like the championship games or conference championship games, right? Yeah, that first weekend in, in December usually. Right. And then you don't play the first round of the playoff currently until like the last weekend in December. You got four weeks of prep, right? 
you got four weeks to prep for uh what three teams like you you're going to do your main prep on who you're playing and then you'll start to like do some evaluation on the other team when you have a 12 team playoff and i'm assuming it's going to be a reseeded after every round right to where i i like feel like it's bracket style like okay. the bracket set and it is what it is. I feel that's how I understood it, but well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I would want it to be reseeded, but I think if I understood the release, right, it's like the brackets, the bracket once it's released. Well, even, even if that's the case, you, you are the, the calendar is going to be moved up. You're not going to have four weeks to prepare for one team, which is a massive advantage for the teams like Alabama like the teams that are already the most talented, right? To have that long of a preparation time. When you don't know who you're going to play and there's less time in between these games, it takes some of that major um, bias or lean or favor to those top teams. Yeah. So it's exciting. And for, for anyone that covers college football and is saying, oh, this – this is awful. Expansion, stupid. Well, it's going to bring more money into the sport, which hopefully, as you know, as guys that cover college football, hopefully means we all get paid more money. So if you really want to take a stance when you renegotiate the contract, say, no, 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 I don't want more money. I keep my salary the same because this expansion is ridiculous. If you want to make a true stand, do it that way, gentlemen. Opt out. Opt out of the the pay raise with, with the with the with the playoff money. Yeah. All right. For my loser of the weekend, thought about going with that poor East Carolina kicker, man. Oh my gosh, Owen Daffer, just rough snap hooks at extra point that would have tied East Carolina and NC State at twenty one with like three minutes to go, but then had a chance for redemption, had a chance to be a hero from forty one yards. Pushes it. I mean, just uh, the the look on his face after I felt I felt for that young man. Ted, that was uh, that was that was a brutal, brutal performance for Owen Daffer. It's it's a tough position to be in as kicker. I understand. Um, you know that's why I think field goals and extra points should be eliminated from the game. They're ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know how you can play 60 minutes of smash mouth, slobber knocking football and have it be decided by a 130 pound guy that's been standing on the sideline the whole time. But hey, it's the sport we created. Well, uh, maybe if Owen hears that, it'll make him feel better. Have you ever did? Did I send you that Larry David or did you send me the Larry David thing talking about eliminating field goals? Is that you? Yeah, (laughs) that it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought about going with UCLA. Did you see that crowd? Uh, yeah. If you want to call it a crowd. Uh, it, so they announced a record low attendance at the Rose Bowl, 27,143. And there is no way in hell there were even 5,000 people at that football game. And I get it, like it was, I guess it was 100 degrees in Los Angeles. I don't care. That is, and, and I will say when when OU went and played UCLA in the Rose Bowl a couple of years back, it was the least, 
or it was the most underwhelming environment I've ever been in ever when it comes to college football. It that game felt like a uh like a training camp practice where two teams meet up and practice together. It was bad. It was and I congrats Big 10. Congrats on taking that getting the mighty UCLA brand. What did you did you see did USC have a good crowd? I think they were like 60ish thousand. It was it wasn't great like it wasn't full. That's a big stadium. I mean it is, but it was way better than what UCLA had. But I, I listen, I get it's hot. Yeah. California, we were all at the beach in the water, cooling down. Okay, whatever, man. I mean, whatever. But it was, I mean, USC's wasn't great, but UCLA's, that was pathetic, man. I mean, absolutely well, pathetic. Well, that's why they got that punt blocked on their first series of the game and gave up a touchdown. At least yeah. no one was there to see it. Yeah, at least no one saw it. Uh, my loser of the week, though, UTSA. Oh, they had Houston. They absolutely had him. 14-point lead in the second half. Let it slip away. Ended up losing in triple overtime on a really, really fun play by Clayton Toon there. The uh, the Houston QB went airborne. for it. They got into one of the uh, two-point conversion shootout things that are now a thing in college football, but tune did a little bit of everything for Houston, but just, just seeing Jeff trailers interview after the game. Mm. I mean, the Roadrunners are going to be sick that they let this get, let this one get away. Especially. I thought that I thought Frank Harris, their QB was, I mean, he did a lot of really good things, put on a show for people there at the Alamo dome, but trailers comments after the game, you talk about a coach taking it hard and putting the blame on himself. So what happened was UTSA stopped Houston on like a fourth and one, uh, pretty, pretty late in the, in the third quarter. So it would have been turnover on downs, but they got called for illegal substitution and, and trailer after the game. Basically. So Houston goes on to score on that drive, cuts the deficit deficit to, I believe seven at that point. And Houston really kind of just kept rolling from there. And Trailer said after the game, this is the quote right here. The mistake is one I will never forgive myself over the rest of my coaching career. We had Woo. such a great opportunity here at the Dome. The head ball coach let it slip away. Brutal. Talk about a coach now, taking it hard, man. Damn. Now, he's also got like a 10-year the... contract, so he's probably not that concerned. Yeah, well, if he, he's not going to be there very much longer if they keep playing the way that they have been. That that program is is pretty daggum good. Yeah, and Texas better watch out in a couple of weeks. Um, did what was the substitution penalty? A guy trying to get off the field late? I think so. That's I tried to like go back and watch it, and yeah, that's what it looked like. Here's the thing, and I think we've talked about this before. If if you've got a defensive lineman that is sprinting off the field as hard as he can before the other team snaps the ball. I, If the guy is not trying to participate in the snap, it shouldn't be a penalty in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it should be illegal if you've got like 12 guys in the huddle or 12 guys lined up that participate in the play. But if you're jogging a guy off or running a guy off, 
that's not trying to have an impact and doesn't run into anyone, doesn't touch anyone, it shouldn't be a penalty. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I. It's a really tough way. Now, there was a lot of football that was played after that drive. I mean, they had a chance to win the game. But, yeah, just a a tough loss for the old roadrunners to swallow and – yeah, Dana. Dana's going to be doing some uh, doing some tough coaching, right? Because there's some high expectations uh, for Houston. Yeah. But yeah, it was a fun football game. All right, episode two forty six in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday. Just a reminder: you can hear Teddy from three to six on ninety four seven The Ref. You can hear me from two to five on Sirius XM Big Twelve Radio Channel three seventy five. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time